listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast by Dr. T. Michael W. Halcom, Dr. Frederick J. Long, Dr. Mario Melendez, Dr. Jennifer Noonan, and J. M. Smith. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, welcome to Proof Text. I'm Michael Halcom. I'm here with Dr. Fred Long, and we're discussing Galatians. I think we're going to have a shorter episode this time than usual. Uh, but we're in Galatians 5 today. If you have a Greek New Testament and you want to get it open, go ahead and do that. If you're watching, then I'll have the Greek text up on the screen. If you're just listening, that's fine too. Um, so let's just get right to it. We're going to go to Galatians 5, and we're picking up. We're just going to cover verse 21 in here, following up on our previous episode. So I'm going to read this. It's a little lengthy, and then Fred... Uh, We'll start discussing. So here's how 21 reads. Thonu methe komnu keta omiwa tutius a prolego imin kathos prohipon oti yuta tuafta prasondes vasiliante u u teronomesusi. All right. Man, you got a, a long word there at the end. Teronomesusi. Uh, stress on the may and i'm not really gonna uh do anything um i i'll just say one thing i noticed some repetition of the piro prolego proipon prasondes um so that's interesting to me and we have like a p sound that starts at thoni which is a challenge for some to say that's a f followed by a th sound or ph th thonu um yeah so yeah fred what do you you want to translate what are you seeing yeah well i was going to say at the beginning i was struck by the the use of thonu mete komu ke ta o o mu a tu um the omicron iota Mm-hmm. occurs about four times there. Um, and it doesn't really occur much prior to that, only in Thumu in verse 20. Mm-hmm. So I think that just probably is accidental a little bit. But um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in terms of translation, what's happening here is uh, we, we're in the midst of a what's called a particularization, where you start with a general idea, works of the flesh, and then you have a particularization, a a specification of items that belong in that category of works of the flesh. There are 15 of these, uh, and they're vices. Um, I do notice also that they get increasingly plural. Mm -hmm. So in verse 20, 20, um, you have eminent T's, uh, ek thre, rather than ek thra. So you have uh, plural uh, eminent And then you start getting some plurals, a couple words after that. And then the last few basically end with plural. So really the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, the last seven of these vices end in the plural. Why is this? Is, um, is, is this inherent with their meaning that they need to be placed into the plural? Or 
is this a way to kind of bring the list to a culmination point by talking about these in the plural? Um, that's a good question, I think, to ask. Um, well, he does begin with the plural, right? He he says, um, ta erga. Well, that's the, general, that's the general category, though. Works of the flesh, which then are particularized in what follows. The first items are in the singular, though. Ornea, acarthasia, aselhia, aselhia. So there is something going on with the strategy here in providing a list. And if you haven't ever thought about studying lists, um, you can read my Koine Greek grammar or my Instep with God's Word exegetical manual. One morning I got up and I thought, I think I could describe the importance of paying attention to diff the lists and the ordering and all this kind of stuff. And I, I remember I just kind of grunted this out for about an hour and a half, which mm. became the framework in large part to these discussions that I have about how to approach lists, their material contents, their structure, their organization, um, and different kinds of structural relationships that they can entail and these kinds of things. And I work through some examples. And so this is the kind of thing that I think is worth paying attention to. And it, of course, it comes with observation. So he's ending with seven plural vices. Why is that? I think it's probably for some cumulative effect that that sin and the works of the flesh are bad uh, and they pile on. And often sin doesn't just involve one thing, it involves many things. Yes. I mean, so uh, sin begets sin, so to speak. Uh, think of David, King David's sin. It wasn't just the adultery. It was the lying and then the murder of uh, her husband, Uriah, the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband. Um, and there's probably other sins than that. I mean, basically, he's being complacent. When, when kings were going out to do battle, David stayed back. So there's sin number one is he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, and my own struggle with sins and different kinds, that often is the case. <laughs> when I'm idle... Trouble comes, temptations comes. So, but sin begets sin, and there's more sins. So the, in verse 21, then, we have, um, it starts with uh, murders. And that's a pretty serious kind of sin, right? Murdering somebody. Um, well, actually, no, I'm not sorry. It's, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not murdering. It is envies, envying, envying things. Now, we've already had some kind of jealousy words but now we're having another one. And again, we don't have time to, to, to look at every single definition and to try to distinguish these words. So I don't know if, the, if, the, if there is intentionally some repetition so that ideas that are particularly important are kind of found represented by other words. That could be what's, tr what's going on here. Or but if... Yeah. So I think zeal and envy, though, are are very different things. Envy does often carry with it in in New Testament context the idea of casting the evil eye. I mean, Mark tells us that it was out of envy that Jesus was was handed over. But you know, I always I, mean, I think of like the difference between I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the difference between jealousy and envy is is 
jealousy is is wanting what somebody has and it's kind of like coveting right envy is wanting what somebody has and wishing them harm to get it so whereas jealousy is like i just i you know oh I, i want that car you got envy's like i want that car you got and i'm gonna steal it to get it or you know, mm. it hurt you to get it. And that's what, when you brought up David, David wasn't merely jealous of Uriah. It may have started that way. But really, it was out of envy that he did what he did. He, he took yeah. Uriah's wife and caused yeah. harm to befall yeah. Uriah by moving to the front lines of the battle. Yeah. So it may be that these words when they have an overlapping sense a little bit, that they're also escalating. So it does seem that jealousy is that, that this next word here, verse 21, phthonos, uh, has more ill will towards the possessor than a mere jealousy does. Yeah, so yeah. 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 So... Yeah, it's interesting. And that listing of different kinds at the end of verse 20, different words that have to do with like strife, con- contentions, uh, revolts, you know, dissensions, and then heresies, factions, that those might actually be culminating a little bit in that listing of three things there at the end of verse 20. So you have these little structural things that might be helping reach the climax or the end of the list uh and and uh, particularly in terms of the plurality of them they're kind of there's like a pile on taking place and an escalation in a kind of sense drunkenness drunks drunks in the plural uh carousing and revelry um and then he says and similar Things to these, keta omia tutus tutus, and similar things to these. So we have a dative of comparison. The tutus is uh, working with ta omia omia, and so that typically takes a dative case. So, and this is a this is an adjective that's. As acting substantively, it's acting like a noun, it's neuter plural, uh, and s- similar things to these, which Paul says, which he says, I wrote to you formally about, which I, which I wrote to you earlier, which is kind of interesting. Like, when did he do that? <laughs> or just what I said to you. What he said to you? Yeah. It's prolego, not prografo. Uh, yeah, or similar things to these which I am speaking to you now. That's possible. What's called the epistolary present, in a sense, like he's writing these things now, which I am writing in advance to you now, <laughs> which, I, which I'm writing before to you. Yeah, formerly, just immediately formally. I, I don't think it's accidental that Colmu ends the list at all terms of like carousing or orgies again i think that bracketing thing is what first calls me to look at well maybe these are all uh sexual immorality related but i think i could make some kind of case 
I'm not going to push like too hard on it, but it is interesting that the list starts and ends that way. Um, yeah. So anyways, yeah. he uses Pro Lego, and then he uses Pro Epon as well. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah. and I think that's very important. So which I am, I I just spoke forth to you. Just as you know, which things I just spoke forth to you, just as I said earlier. And so, when did he say that? Maybe his initial proclamation of the gospel to them. Mm. And I, I think, I think so. In other words, Paul is trying to say, "Look, I'm offering you a yeah. gospel that deals with matters of sin. You don't have to come into the law to deal with matters of sin. This gospel takes sin." and vices seriously. In fact, I've already told you that those, the ones doing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, the ones doing such things. So notice that these, these are meta comments. He doesn't need to say which things I just said to you. That's drawing extra, extra attention to the communicative act, which is just unfolding. And so, again, my, my issue is, is why does Paul need to speak this way unless he's been criticized, unless he's under some criticism and attack? And I think uh, in Romans, this comes up in a way in, in 3, verse 8 and 9, do some slanderously accuse us of saying, let us do evil that good may abound? He says, no way. In other words, Paul is being critiqued in his presentation of the gospel that it's a sloppy agape, that it's an easy, wheezy gospel, that, that you don't have to uh, live differently. That you don't, because, and and the, how would they get there? Well, if you don't have to be under the law, with all its other codes and ritual, but also codes and moral conduct, if Paul is saying you don't, you're not under the law, then that must mean that he's advocating immorality. And Paul says, no, not at all. What I'm advocating for is living according to the promised Holy Spirit, which allows you to have a different pathway to live differently where you're not satisfying the deeds of the flesh. And so let's let me be real clear about that. And he's being real clear. And this uh, this section here, again, if I'm to remind you of my previous understanding, explained rhetorically, this is part of the refutatio section, where Paul is taking on his opponents. He's calling them out for like eighteen. He mentions them in five one. He says, or "No," uh, he says, "Those of you who want to be under the law, don't you listen to what the law says?" So he's called these people out, I think, in 4, 19, 20, 21. And then in 5, 1, he kind of turns and addresses them in, a, in another kind of way. Uh, 5, 12, I think it is. He talks about them, wish he would just emasculate themselves. Here, he's, I think, dealing with implicit criticism that his gospel is a, a lack of morality gospel because mm -hmm. it's not under the law. So I think this is responding to those criticisms of his gospel. Hence, he's referring back to what he just said and what he had said earlier, uh, making the really strong statement that those doing such things as these 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. Yeah. So we have um, the OT sets up the content clause of the pro epon. So just as I spoke before, um, and then you have a substantive participle with the u ta toi avta prasontes. That is a substantive participle, the ones doing, and there that subs that sandwiching the direct object, the ta tu avta. The um, that is a qualitative uh, relative pronoun. Oh no, demonstrative pronoun. That's a demonstrative pronoun of quality. Um, it, it's it's pro, it's a type of demonstrative pronoun that in its marking lexically, semantically, it is uh, construing the quality. So such things as these, the kinds of things of these. So the ones doing such kinds of things as these. Uh, what this means is that the list is not exhaustive. It's representative. It's a representative list. Um, it's not exhaustive. So people doing such things as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. So this is an early letter. As Paul expresses this kind of idea elsewhere, he will describe not just simply those doing such things. He'll describe those people as those things. Uh, not just doing immorality, but immoral people. So this is, I think it's interesting to see that um, in his reflections on vice and who will not inherit the kingdom of God, uh, his language actually gets more and more intensive and, and, and construes things a little bit differently than here. In fact, in those other places like the pastorals, 1 Corinthians uh uh, six, right around verse seven, eight, nine. Mm -hmm. He uh, uses emphatic negation. Ephesians five, six, seven. He uses emphatic negation, but not here. He just uses ooh with the future indicative. Uh, they will not inherit the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Rather than emphatic negation, which would be ooh may, uh, with the subjunctive typically, although sometimes future, they will never ever inherit. Yeah. So um, Paul is just getting started, <laughs> I think, in, in thinking through these things. And, um, yeah, we have to, you know, compare Paul's language here with other places, and we start to get a composite picture. And he, he hasn't developed or articulated in in the way that he will eventually. But this is here, it's clear enough. It's clear enough. You do these kinds of things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, this is... Uh, I. I was meeting with someone higher up in our denomination recently that I have some theological misgivings with about or with, and um, uh, this person's starting to promote various types of sexual immorality, and he's mm -hmm. a, a leader like higher up than me. So I'm confronting this person and just point blank asked him, across the table and ask, so do you believe this person engaging in this kind of sexual immorality is inheriting the kingdom of God? And uh, so it is, <laughs> it is in one way a little bit of a litmus test question, right? Like you can just ask that. 
Do you believe that the person engaging in orgies is inheriting the kingdom of God? Do you believe that the person cheating on their spouse is inheriting the kingdom of God? Like you, do you believe that the person in engaging in this type of sexual immorality or that type of sexual immorality or this behavior or that behavior is inheriting the kingdom of God? And how the person responds will tell you whether they've yielded to scripture or not. Mm. Interesting. Very quick and easy test. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's important here that the the doing is present tense, um, not that they did these things. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. One and done. You know, mistakes. Yeah. But we're talking yes. about repeated infractions to the point of 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 habit and lifestyle and. And I would argue identification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And promotion. And and promotion. Yeah. Um, really, there's one thing worse than the promotion, the, uh, the condoning. Uh, so in Romans 1, if you want to see this kind of thing we've been talking about in Galatians here, the vice list, if you want to see this, read Romans 1, 18. To the end, there is another big vice list there. Paul continues to reflect on what this is. And he says there at the end of Romans 1, he says, um, not only do they do such things as these, same exact construction as what we just saw. The same participle, same uh, demonstrative pronoun of quality. Uh, Not only do they do these things, but uh they also approve yes. of those doing them exactly. so there's the the ultimate condoning there's the ultimate condoning but there is one thing worse than than that and that's mm-hmm. really bad because he's worked the discourse to that point if you read chapter 20 uh chapter 2 he does talk about judging and then doing the same sorts of things mm. which which gets us into hypocrisy mm. and that is yeah. that is even worse and again it's the same he's using the same participle construction sandwiching it with the such things as these so look at verse the end of verse two look at um towards the middle of verse three so that is actually a worse thing and that is you know when god's people People who should know better are, in fact, doing those things when condemning others. Mm. Um, so it's bad enough when it's being condoned. It's even it seems even worse when people who know better and are condemning the others are doing those things as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Let's. Let's stop there. Uh, do you have a parting shot for us? <laughs> On that happy, happy thought. Um, well, uh, the purpose of religion is not so much to get us into heaven or to keep us out of hell, but to put a little bit of heaven into us and take the hell out of us. Hmm. This has always been the greatest responsibility of heaven. That's E. Stanley Jones. Yeah, E. Stanley Jones. And he was uh, he was willing to have conversations with Hindus and Buddhists 
and, and trying to find some common ground. So that when I read that kind of a statement, I see that as a kind of an acknowledgement of, of religion generally as maybe yeah. a, 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 some touch point. But um, I knew that he would always want to direct people to Christ, though. So that's not, I don't think that's the final word, uh, but, but maybe a starting word in some interreligious dialogue we might I'm, take on I'm, that. I'm somebody who, like I just saw right before we started recording today, somebody sent me a video of Phil Wickham, Christian music guy, and he's got a new song out, and he's sitting in his car in the passenger seat while it's on the radio and he's singing the song, which is very kind of corny. But the, the song is like saying, I wasn't made for religion. I was made for relationship or something. And I think that's a false mm -hmm. dichotomy. I mm. think religion is a good thing. It just depends, again, how we define it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's yeah. interesting if you go back and you read, I think it's Cicero. Um, but Cicero has got this one passage where he's talking about these ancient debates that existed and these arguments that existed about the word religion. And there are two schools of thought as to where the word religion came from. Did it come from um, uh, re ligere or re legere? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the two schools of thought were arguing vehemently over this because one school thought that that meant like the redoing of the law like the coming back to the law again and again, whereas the other was saying, no, it's uh, Ligere, which has to do with story. So it's a return to the story over and over and over. And I really, I think Cicero comes down on that side, but I like that definition a lot that religion, essentially like true religion is return, you know, seeing the widows and orphans, but returning to this story again and again and again and again and again and again. And it's just a continual return to the story. Yeah. And, um, so yeah. in that sense, there's nothing like we, we are inherently religious people. What yeah. story are we subscribing to? Yeah. Right? Um, and the story of Galatians, remember, is that God saved us from this present evil age. If you go back to the opening verses there, sending us Jesus, he saved us from the present evil age. And that age continues. I mean, we're surrounded by an evil age, and we need saving from it. And it is insidious, pernicious. It is a full court press on us, and we need to be it's clear. Like story. Yeah, yeah, and we need to be clear of the story of God yes. and Jesus. He wants a holy people. He wants a people uniquely His own that reflect His justice, His goodness. And someday we're going to see Him just as He is, and we're going to be transformed to be like Him. Uh, and just as he is just, we're to be just. Um, started teaching a Sunday school class again through First John. We're, we're in chapter three. Just look at the first few verses of First John three. Very powerful, very convicting. But that's the story that we're caught up in. And so, don't let the world uh, around you catch you up in its story. Exactly. Yeah. Interested in growing your ancient language skills, but not sure where to start? Glossa House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glossahouse.com today. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.